Okay, guys, welcome to The Dad Presents. This episode is brought to you by CBDMD.com. Go there and use the code The Dad Presents for 15% off on high quality CBD products that'll help all your pains. I use it, gets rid of all my aches and pains from my 27 million surgeries for my neck, my back, my shoulder, my wrist. Get it, it's good stuff. All right, now let's get into it. All right, guys, today we've got comedian Pete Dominic. He hosted stand-up with Pete Dominic for many years on Sirius. It got me through hard times with starting out my business. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And now he hosts his own podcast by the same name. So welcome, Pete. How you doing? It's great to be here, man. Thanks. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm psyched to be a guest on somebody else's show as opposed to always being the host. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I mean, your, your show's fantastic. And the transition from Sirius to, to the podcast, I think it's been a good one. Um, the, the first thing I really wanted to ask you about is I feel like in the modern day, the people doing the best political commentary out there are comedians. And I think that started with like Bill Maher and Jon Stewart. And now it's guys like you and Jimmy Dore and Dave Smith. And I, I don't know, is it is it because only comedians are brave enough to be like real and honest? Or is it that Americans have lost their attention span and need politics with a dose of entertainment? Uh, that's a great question uh, and, and one I could discuss for a long time. There's actually been some academic like scholarship looking into why anybody would get their news or information from comedians or why comedians <laughs> right. are, are so influential when it comes to news and politics. And so I think there's a lot of different answers, but I think the easiest, the, the, the quick, I, first of all, I don't love the, uh, the idea that comedians are brave or courageous. I used to like that. And I used to take that compliment and run away with it. I'm like, yes, well, I, I am. Are. I mean, I take risks. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think that you think that, and other people think that because you're not comedians. And if you thought of it this way, imagine you have to do it. Imagine mm -hmm. it's like water to you that you have to be on stage. And in this case, we're talking about a type of comedian that kind of might speak truth to power or might do a commentary on current events and issues. Sure. But it's a matter of, having to do it. It's out of necessity that that people do stand up. It's an insane idea otherwise to stand on stage and try to make people laugh as anybody who doesn't do it and thinks about it with beer and has no ambition to do it. Yeah, that's because you're quote normal. You're not that needy. You're not that insecure. You seek your approval or sense of purpose in, in other ways without necessarily being derogatory about comedy. So I just don't think that it's as much, it, it looks brave or courageous from the outside but I think if you're if you're someone who does it, it's somebody it's some it, you need to do it. I mean, I think I've matured to some extent past it that I don't I don't need to do it. But it's a great way for me to support my family and make a living. But I don't I don't yeah. need it the way I did. If I could go ride off on a horse in the woods and make two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, I'd probably do that. Right. I I didn't mean so much brave in the sense of getting up on stage. Right. I I've, I actually did it for a little bit. I tried it. It was fun. But I mean, uh, yeah, I right. mean, there, there are com comedians who get up there and make safe choices. Guys like you who are talking about political issues and, and kind of poking the bear a little bit. I mean, there is a degree of, of bravery there. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I would reserve, I still would reserve that kind of uh, rhetoric or even compliment to people who are actually in physically dangerous jobs or sure. who are working with underserved populations or 
you know, who are just doing manual labor outside, working a jackhammer. I mean, uh, and the, and the, and the beating sun seems a lot more brave, but Fair enough. I mean, I, I think, I think though, to, you know, to, to get away from that and, and to talk more about why it's effective, I think, or why comedians are good at it because comedians are definitely curious like you. I mean, you're, you it's probably partially why you, you tried it out, partially why you host this podcast. Cause you like to ask questions to people. You like to pursue different ideas or issues and talk to smart people about them. I think comedians are constantly asking questions because basically, again, without being noble, it's like, could this be a bit? Right. What is with baseball caps? How come <laughs> some people bend the brim? Some people don't. It's like, there's a curiosity. So that's something that's mundane about baseball caps, but there's also a curiosity about, you know, feminism, feminism and masculinity or, or, yeah, or speech issues or, or religion, of course, you know, so, so I think it's a lot of why comedians are good at it is because comedians are generally inquisitive people and, that's and that sure. curiosity leads to comedy. And also the difference between a journalist and a comedian, if you take a look at the daily show with Jon Stewart or now with Trevor Noah or all these shows uh, is that you're able to take a, something that some politician in, in this case said, and then juxtapose it against something he said again, two years later, that's completely hypocritical. And that's inherently comedic. And you can do mm-hmm. all these different things with it. And you can point out hypocrisy and dishonesty and those things are inherently funny. So I think that's right. why comedians do it. And and that's why, you know, they're also teaching, you know, they are speaking truth to power from Lenny Bruce to George Carlin to Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Yeah. I think people, people, at, at least myself, are really bothered by hypocrisy. So I, I, I think that is an enjoyable thing to see people come out and, and point that out. Um, so, you know, this is this is the, the dad presents. Um, you have a couple of young girls. Uh, how do you feel about the school situation and, and the way it's being handled? Um. I have a lot of patience and forgiveness for school administrators and educators. I've done work my whole career with public educators, teachers, and administrators across the country. My mom was a public school teacher. So I I think it's a hard job in normal times. I think trying to figure out how to teach remotely and what's most effective is not something anybody learned even in grad school. Mm-hmm. And so they're all trying to figure it out. I think parents, communities are probably pretty impatient, understandably so. But I'm giving, you know, our administration and our teachers a lot of patience and time to figure it out. And then once they do figure it out, will it work? How effective is it? What discoveries will we make that we can, you know, keep? Like the kids don't have to get up at six in the morning to catch the bus, and and uh, that there are ways to learn remotely and and using technology. And so I just don't, I don't think they know the answer. We got an email from our school district today saying we're we're not ready, we're not ready. They, we, yesterday the email came out that said your your kids are going to uh, go to school two days a week, oh, yeah. uh, be in school, and then today. They're like, we're, we're actually, we're not even ready for that. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with them constantly changing the rules and ideas as they learn new information. I think it's extremely difficult for everybody right now, especially the administrators and the educators, not to mention, of course, the parents who don't know what to do with their kids while they go to work. It's super challenging, but I'm glad I'm not in charge of such things. Put it that way. Yeah. I mean, I come from a family of educators, my mom and my dad, my sister. It's, it's a tough job. Um, but what, what bothers me about it as a dad is I feel like the decisions that are getting made are not 
necessarily what's in the best, uh, what's best for our children, but it's political. Everything's become political. And that really, it, it pisses me off. Like I would like to see them sit down, analyze what's best for the kids, make the decision based on that. And if you just look at the way red states are handling it versus blue states, it's clearly become a political football. And that's, that's messed up. Yeah. I, well, I don't see I, I think you just simplified something that you, you, you can't, you shouldn't, which is sit down, look at what, what works and apply it or apply common sense is what you often hear. They don't know. Matt, they don't, they don't know. know. They, they don't, don't know, know what they don't know what works. Nobody, anybody who says they know what works in terms of scheduling, busing, and how best to get an education is wrong. Everybody's fucking winging it. Can I swear? Everybody's throwing shit up against the wall right now. Uh, my friend is the head of mitigation at Indiana University, and he's spending millions of dollars on all kinds of parameters and precautions. It's so cost prohibitive. So what do you say to a school that doesn't have that many resources in normal times? How are they supposed to disinfect? How are they supposed to make sure that the teachers have what they need and are protected? And I think that one of the issues here about this pandemic is that nobody knows. Yeah. The epidemiologists don't know. The physicians don't know. And we have to be patient even with the experts. And sometimes the information changes. New studies come out and people are so impatient with that stuff. Well, the doctor said this today and this yesterday and this doctor saying that and this scientist. And I think that unless you're a scientist, unless you're an educator, I'm just, I'm, I'm probably not like most people, but I, I put, I put my trust in a lot of these types of experts, especially the educators who want this to be figured out more than anybody else, the teachers and the, and the administrators. So yes, it's political to what you said, but it shouldn't be. Right. It's, but it's expensive. And anything that costs a lot of money is, you know, inherently political. I mean, if you look at, for example, the movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, and this, this move to defund the police, if you, if you have a little bit of nuance in that conversation, what I would say in my community is we have, we have police officers in my community, Clarkstown, New York. Now, we have detectives that make $250,000 a year. Wow. Like they sh- and that's because they have this strong union. These police officers shouldn't make that much money. That money should go to social workers and teachers. And, you know, we live in a very safe community and it's not because they're getting paid that much money. So we have to have difficult conversations about how our tax dollars are distributed in this case to to schools. And that's always inherently political because we all have our own, I think, moral imperatives and what we think should be done. But man, this is such a tough call for, for teachers and administrators. I don't think it's that political for teachers and administrators. I think they're mostly, mostly, not entirely, but on the same page. Yeah, I agree with the majority of what you said. Yeah, what do you disagree but, with? Well, when, when, when you're talking about the information, we don't know. You're right, we don't know. But it seems like some all the information is split between red and blue. All the red people are on the same page and all the blue people are on the same page and they all have information separate from each other. Like the, the information is just the information. And depending on what news channel you're watching, you're getting different information and they're not reporting the other information. Well, like it's all information. I would, disagree, I would disagree with that a little bit by saying scientific consensus doesn't have two sides. So the scientific consensus of anything is the thing that we generally should trust. So there are 17 individual studies on maybe what artificial sweeteners, you know, in, in soda, uh, the effect it has on, on, on people. And the study of all of those studies, the mm-hmm. aggregate of all those studies comes out with an outcome. You can't argue with that, especially if it's a randomized blind study, if it's peer reviewed over and over. 
So I don't think the red states have information, blue states have information, or this network or that host has this set of information. I think there is a scientific consensus on most things. However, on COVID-19, that consensus is, is constantly changing. It's changing, but it's not split. Like here, here's, here's the best, I think, and maybe you, maybe, you know, you know more about science and, and, and medicine than I do, but I think the people that we most should trust are epidemiologists, those that study epidemic pandemics, those who virologists and those who make vaccines. Those three expertise, there is a major consensus, certainly with how a pandemic spreads. There is no red or blue information. There is only this, what we know, what science can tell us about how this virus spreads. Sure. So I would just go with that scientific consensus because you know, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not going to question no, what enough. the vast majority, in this case, of virologists said. And the same can be said for climate science. The same could be said for orthopedics. Fair enough. Fair enough. That makes sense. And those are the people we should listen to. But what I'm talking about is certain statistics get reported in one place, and then those statistics are omitted in other places. And it just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel honest. And some of the, the scientists, it seems like there's certain motivational financial factors to reporting it a different way. And I'm not trying to get into conspiracies or whatever. I would just like all information. I would like the, if the information, depending on which channel you're watching, was the same. The same information, regardless of what channel I turn on. That's, that's how the news should but be. We don't, no, it shouldn't be, be that way. We don't live in that world. I would like that too. That way, that way, we wouldn't have controversy and these decisions wouldn't be so difficult, especially for us parents to make. Right. I agree with you. I disagree that there are political motivations with scientists. Of course, we could point out some uh, where, you know, the tobacco industry hired certain scientists to say that tobacco did not cause lung cancer. The fossil sugar fuel industry, industry did the same thing. Sugar industry, mm-hmm. fossil fuel industry, and so on. Yep. But the, the vast majority of motivation to make money, to move up in, in, in your field of science is to disprove a theory or to prove a theory. I mean, that's how you... Uh, get success. I don't think there's political motivations with scientists. I don't. Th- that's not. That's not how it works. It's not how science works. You can't. You can't really have that because you're not in charge. You you, you do a study. You conduct a study. Uh, you you have to live or die by the outcome. Of course, there are questions about how a study gets funded. That's why you look at a number of studies. What's called meta studies and. You have to think for yourself and use critical thinking and and what some people would call common sense. But at some point, you have to stop second guessing the vast majority of scientists on an issue or on a subject. And so I don't I don't buy that that any mainstream scientist, certainly a scientific consensus, is motivated by kind of a moral belief or, or, or really politics, certainly not on the on the pandemic. And if it were, by the way, what about all the other pandemics in the past? Were those was there major, major controversy and divisiveness over Ebola? No, there wasn't. There actually sure. wasn't. We knew what to do and sure, we did but, it. Okay, but you don't feel like, given that this is a political year, that it they've that it's really charged the way the news is being told for the purpose of winning an election on both sides. I mean, don't we see that in every election year? I do not both sides this, no. I think that the Republican Party and the conservative movement is anti-science and has been for most of my career, at least. You know what, I, w- I would have agreed with that. I would have agreed with that probably a year ago, up until a year ago. And, and, what, and do you, what changed? Well, what I'm, what I'm seeing with, with COVID, 
that's what changed. I, 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 would, I would see from what I've seen from Sweden, from, you know, my wife's a nurse. She works in the hospital. I work in healthcare from what we've seen. I just don't feel that the left is being honest about the statistics and the numbers and the dangers. And it's for the purpose of winning an election. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, I think that's hogwash. I think it's All nonsense. Right. I don't think politics comes into it. I mean, if they got the guy that's running Indiana University, Dr. Aaron Carroll, do you think his politics are what is are what decides how he Indiana University should open up? I think the universities have become extremely politicized and they benefit with the Democrats in power more so. So I think possibly a demo universities benefit from Democrats being in power. What do you mean? Well, I mean, would you not agree that the universities have really swung left? That's kind of what's pushed us. No, in the- no I think that's okay. a canard. I think that that's that whole uh, speech issue and cancel culture, which is such, in my mind, complete nonsense. There absolutely are egregious examples where on campus someone was shut down because they believed something that was controversial. Absolutely. And those examples I agree with there, but it's not widespread, A, and, and B, no, I mean, it's, it's academia. It's like this, this idea, that I, I don't get it. I don't understand why conservatives are against education, against expertise. I mean, I do understand it to some extent. They're more likely to be religious and, and oppose those kinds of things. But I don't, I don't see the politicization, politicization of science, at least the way that you're sounding like you're seeing it, including at the university level. Yeah, they want to make money and they want to have students come in, but they do understand you can't be penny wise and pound foolish. You can't make a decision today. To, to make money that will destroy your business, your university, or your bank tomorrow. I mean, that's what the banks did do. And that's why, you know, Lehman Brothers, after 150 years, went out of business because they were uh, short-term thinking and they, they participated in the, in the mortgage fraud business. But I don't think universities are doing that. I don't think, I think the federal government, of course, has done that. I mean, look at the, the horrible, horrible decisions that the Trump administration has made and it's all it's made everything worse if they had shut everything down and, and made everybody stay inside like they did in China or in Italy. But I don't think Americans would, would even do that. We're just not we are not an exceptional group of people the way we have been taught to believe for our whole lifetime. This, this, it's a myth. American exceptionalism is a myth. And we now know that more than ever before because we are unable to unify to fight a virus where so many other countries are getting it have gotten it together. Democracy is messy, especially when it's multicultural. Speaking on unity, we're, we're definitely not unified. I mean, I'm 47 more than at any other point in my life. And, and sure, to, yeah. to be clear, I would not consider myself a conservative. I'm not conservative. In fact, I, w- I would have called myself a liberal until recently. I, growing up, I, I, I felt I was liberal because liberals stood for free speech. They stood for e- equal opportunity. They stood for things that I really identified with. And I, I feel they've gotten away from that. I feel that conservatives have kind of taken those issues up a little bit, which again is political because they see an opportunity there. But I do not consider myself conservative. But here's, here's what I will say. I feel like the far left and the far right both, need, both have a lot more in common than they think, and they need to unite against the, the corporate plutocratic Plutocracy? Thank Plutocrats? you. Yes, because what we're seeing is like 0.1% of the top 1%. Yeah. Like, but that's, the, left, but, but, the far left and the far right they both hate these big bank bailouts. They hate the control the big banks have over all of us. They both hate the endless wars, but we get caught up in these identity politics and, and that becomes the whole conversation and, and they get fighting with each other instead of uniting on these very, very important issues. Again, I would say that I would push back on your framing. The right 
is entirely the reason for all of the money in politics. They are. They, 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 here's what they believe. This is not me you know, being a liberal saying this is what they believe. Corporations are people. They believe that. Not everybody. You know, we're generalizing with the labels here. Corporations are people. Speech, money is speech. Money. So if, talking if about you Citizens have, United, and, and yes, that got passed by the Supreme Court, but I don't think your average conservative agrees with that. They over, they, well, then they vote for politicians who do. Right. And the left it's for not, a lot of politicians who, who does not exercise what they believe in. That's the that's, Yeah, but on, hold on. on. When it comes to corruption and money in politics and the plutocracy, the left, number one, over, is, is more likely to believe in a different kind of wealth distribution, a different kind of tax policy. And certainly, they, we believe on the left in public financing of campaigns. We do not believe that you should be able to spend unlimited money, A, and B, after you spend that unlimited money, it should, you should not have to disclose who you are. That is entirely a conservative idea. Everybody in conservative media overwhelmingly believes it. Everybody in the Republican Congress overwhelmingly believes it. And so the Republicans who are supporting them, the voters, and they believe that. They support the justices, the judges who are in the Supreme Court and the courts below who believe that corporations are people, that speech is money, and that you should be able to spend as much money as you have and want to on a political campaign to influence that politician to do your bidding on the left. Almost entirely, including Joe Biden, who is considered a much more moderate, every candidate is running on a platform to A, pass the Disclose Act. So if you do donate any money to a, con- a campaign, it has to be transparent, which I think all Americans should agree with. B, sure. you shouldn't be able to donate unlimited amount of money. You shouldn't be able to bundle that unlimited money because, sure. because all of these different industries and the companies within them collude to pay lobbyists. I know exactly how all of this works. I've been inside media and politics for over 10 years. And I, 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 it, it's very frustrating that we don't come together on that how are liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats, divided on the meaning of corruption? How could you possibly support any politician who does not disclose his investments, Absolutely. how he makes his money, and B, who, who appoints his family members? Imagine if your mayor, the mayor of your small town or big city, did not tell you that he owned a number of buildings on this block that he's now uh, invested your taxpayer money in. What if your mayor then appointed his brother to run that operation? That's not liberal. That's not conservative. I think everybody would agree that that is how corruption starts. And that is a province of the right. And conservatives and Republicans believe that. 100% campaign finance reform needs to happen. Public funded elections would be fantastic. And you you may be discussing what the narrative is out there. and, And some Democrats may be saying these things. But you don't really believe that they 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 would go for public financing. Yes, they, yes, I do. I'm positive well, of it. And, I, and here's benefit. why. They all benefit. No, they don't. This. They Which don't. Which ones do not? All of them don't. I'll, I'll start with a guy named James McGovern. He's he's uh, the congressional member from the second district of Massachusetts. I know him well. He's a Democrat. Then I'll give you Walter B. Jones. He passed away recently, but he was a staunch conservative. Both of these guys hate raising money. It's the worst part of their job. They do not want to have to do it. They don't then want to have to feel pressure to pass a certain law or not pass a certain law or get rid of a regulation. They don't want to do it. No, they don't. They would like an equal playing field where money did not play a role. Overwhelmingly, Democrats believe that in principle, they can't compete with their Republican opponent if, for example, listen to this, 
Ted Cruz and the and the election before him, Rick Santorum, their campaigns were almost entirely funded by the end by one man, one man, sure. Sheldon Adelson. That's nobody wants that. And no, nobody can compete up. against that. that that's so, you know, up. Democrats and do you... not want to, to raise money. They don't want to take money. And and furthermore, they've done everything they can to pass legislation to prevent it. When President Obama was president, he did everything he could to get money out of campaigns. Republicans wouldn't even take it up for a vote. OK, you, you mentioned a couple guys and there are a couple guys. There's a couple guys on the right, too, like Thomas Massey. The, the point is all of them are benefiting from it. And like if you're looking at the big wigs like Obama, I mean, Obama, his entire campaign was was Wall Street. So he's not going to turn around once he's it was not power. his my entire is, campaign. It was a small portion. The system is broken. If you the only way to Obama get to didn't the top, want that, Matt, Obama didn't want that. He didn't want the financial industry to be able to donate and influence his campaign. They're not all benefiting from it. it. Yes, he did. He what did. did he you, do you, to change it? He did everything he could to pass legislation to get rid of it. He was outraged by the by the Citizens United. He appointed Supreme Court justices that did not believe companies were people and that speech was money. He, he got overrun. All Democrats believe this. This is part of what we as Democrats believe, from Bernie Sanders to Barack Obama to Joe Biden. Yes, they have appointed people who don't believe that. In, in terms of justices, and they've tried to pass legislation. Listen, Obama went out all the time preaching about the Disclose Act. You can look it up. The Disclose Act would have at least said, since we lost the Supreme Court case, Citizens United, and we've got this unlimited amount of money, at least we'll pass a law through the U.S. Senate and House that makes it that makes all donors have to disclose their money. Republicans wouldn't let them. So yes, he did tons. You're wrong. You're 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 like most Americans in that you're cynical about, about politicians. I used to be too until I met them, until I got involved in the system, until I started reading about the history of corruption in our country. I would highly recommend that you and everybody you know read Jacob Hacker and Paul Pearson's books. They are unbelievably uh, educating about how things work. Uh, read David K. Johnson's books, Free Lunch, Perfectly Legal. There's so many great academics and journalists who have written and covered about all this. And I've been talking about it for 10 years. So I remember this. I'm not cynical. I've been listening to you. I know. I am cynical. You're absolutely right. I'm cynical. But if most I people mean, look, are, look at the wars we've been fighting now for 20 years. If, if, if we had politicians, Democrats who overwhelmingly not, against them. Over, yes, it they, is. They Every had vote. power and they did not do a single not thing. Not true. Any of them. Obama entered us into about five new wars. Not true. Obama escalated the war in Afghanistan and that was the wrong decision. That was he, the wrong decision. He got he, us going in Libya. He got us. I mean, Libya was a new wars. I don't think that he got his. I, I think that you could be critical of some of Obama's foreign policy choices, but you can't be critical of the fact that Democrats vote overwhelmingly voted against the war in Iraq. You can't be critical that overwhelmingly liberal Democrats when, when in America against were against war that war in Iraq. The va- look at the House vote for authorization of 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 the war. Look at the in Senate 2000, vote. in two thousand two. Yes, I mean it won pretty much in a landslide. No, it didn't. You can look the numbers up. I right, quoted look at the, the, the House. The House overwhelmingly voted against it. And far too many Democratic uh, senators voted for it, but most didn't. Most okay. did not. Most Democrats in Congress did not vote to authorize the Bush administration uh, to vote against the war. And this is one thing I do remember. The only Republican who voted against it, the only one was Senator Lincoln Chafee, who later uh, ran an embarrassing campaign for president, but a great guy. And the reason he voted against it as a Republican from Rhode Island was that he went down to the CIA to get a briefing on whether or not Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. And this, as he's entitled to do as a member of the United States Senate, and the CIA didn't try to convince him that they did. That was, yeah, a politi- I know, uh, yeah. I know all Republicans voted for it. I know that. 
And that's, that really irritated me at that time. I was not for it at that time. Like I've always been cynical. All right. Um, but it, it seems like it shifted. It seems like they may have all voted for it at that time because Obama was the president or I'm sorry, because Bush was the president. And I feel like as Obama became the president, they, a lot of them shifted their position on that because we definitely had the opportunity to get out of those wars over and over again during the Obama administration. During- well, we got out of the war in Iraq and he was heavily criticized for it. And the, 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 the resurgence of ISIS was blamed on Obama. And the because same with trying to get out of, out of Syria. Trump was criticized with trying to get out of Syria. That's what I mean about the politics of it. It's like the, getting out of war seems to me like it would be a terrific thing. Well, but listen, depends, if, you look, the, the if you look at the amount of money that was in power. Yeah, but if you look at the amount of money that that we are spending on those wars and the amount of lost lives in those wars, they were overwhelmingly in Iraq and Afghanistan and sure. Libya and Syria, or, or especially Syria, was a hard, much harder call. Where I think a lot of liberals thought that military intervention was uh, potentially necessary because of how horrific uh, Assad was. I mean, th- those are difficult decisions. But and I mean, about, again, what about Yemen and, and the genocide going on there? Like, we don't even see that on the television. You're so absolutely you, right about that. You got a genocide know that. happening. And, you know, that was started by Obama. It's continued through Trump. Nobody talks about it. Nobody's done a thing. I think that uh, a lot of people talk about it. You got to pay attention to the right places. There have been a lot of outspoken Democrats against that. And uh, the Yemen issue is a result of our relationship with Saudi Arabia, which has always been an issue. But it's been far more of an issue with Republican presidents. The Bushes were tight with the Saudis. And obviously, the president is extremely tight and fond of the Saudis. And, you know, when you think of the reprehensible, horrible things he's done, you know, uh, the Jamal Khashoggi assassination is right up there. And the fact that he has no issue with that at all, has sold them weapons um, and is happy uh, to be friends with the, the, I mean, the horrific human rights violators that run the Saudi kingdom. No, no but, doubt. But again, every president since Ronald Reagan has sold weapons to our enemies. They're, they're the, all guilty of that. The priorities of liberals versus the priority of conservatives in terms of the, the expenditure of taxpayer money, I think is always a fascinating and important conversation to be had. And Democrats overwhelmingly support investing in education and health care and conservatives support uh, investing in, quote, defense, when in fact, we don't really have. The, the, yeah. And, and the, the real threat to America right now in terms of our national security is from within. You know, the divisiveness from within Absolutely. and the anti-government white supremacist types, those are the ones that committing almost every terrorist attack in the last few years have been committed by white, male, anti-government, right-wing, conservative Americans, many of which are former veterans, unfortunately. If, okay, so you, you considered a political run a, yeah. a few years ago. You, 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 you no, like, uh, idea, about about right? eight months ago, yeah. yeah. Okay, and, and why, why did that go sideways on you? Didn't have enough money. Didn't have enough Could, money. Couldn't pay my bills and run for Congress at the same time. My sure. wife told me. I've talked to yeah. other people like Larry Sharp, and and yeah, that seems to be a common problem. You need a lot of money. Uh, well, but if you're you- if you're a young like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is a good example of somebody who you know didn't have kids, um, and maybe I don't know if she had a mortgage to pay or anything like that. But so you know, younger people might have a, a more of an ability because. But in in my case, I have to have health insurance for my family, which is another broken, stupid part of our system. So I have to have a job that allows me to pay for it or provides it for me. So it's, it's, it's just not a feasible thing for most people to be able to, you need to run for a house seat. Uh, you need about at least a million dollars, the average district, 10 million at least for a Senate. If not now yeah. with those numbers, I think are even a lot higher. I think in, in the house seat that I was thinking about running for, I forget how much was spent, but it was like 15 candidates. And I would have, you know, I also realized who I'd be running against. And 
it was uh, I didn't have a chance. I'd be good at that job, and I wanted to do it full time. You need to you need to leave your job and do it full time if you want to have a chance to win. So you got you really got to have almost fuck you money to be able to do it. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, and time and being away from your family. There's a lot of things that made me not want to do it, but mainly it was the money. Yeah, and my wife wouldn't let me. (laughs) I can one hundred percent relate to that. Um, God, you're so, a good-looking man. I should have said that right away. By the way, I just thanks, wanna, man. I I'm sorry. That. I had the sun shining in my studio here. I got to get some blinds for my new studio. So but, do, uh, do you do the podcast? Is are you at your home? Yeah, I just built a uh, studio. I say just built. It took like six weeks. Yeah. I think just to empty the shed. I built a studio inside my garden shed, Matt, and I'm oh, wow. like in. I'm, I've, I don't know if I've ever been happy, happier with a situation professionally than I am with what's going on now in my career really? with this studio in the middle of my garden. Oh, yeah. that's terrific. That's terrific. Because, yeah, I, I, I have a home office, you know, since COVID, I stopped working on the road. Now I have a home office. And so now it's a home office and a podcast studio. And the wife just informed me that I have to get one of those sheds because we have two boys who are sharing a room and now they need their own room. So I'm getting kicked out to the backyard. Oh, dude, you're going to uh, great. It's a great <laughs> problem. As, as long as she approves of, you know, funding that, that's great. And I don't know. Maybe we do you have just air talk. conditioning in there? I do. I got oh, a, a little, a little uh, unit oh, yeah, right there. Yeah, that's but, um, but I think that one way to, uh, to define, we, we define wealth and success in the most traditional way, which has to do with kind of how much money you make and what your title is. and you know, how much, uh, how much success, you know, you've had by those measurements. But I've, I've always thought that you could measure a certain type of wealth or success by how long your commute is. And uh, I don't know about you. I don't know exactly what you do, but when you know, say you're on the road, like I hated driving into New York city every day, one hour each way. It tore yep, me up. 100%. It, my body was, as soon as I lost my job, I got in the best shape of, uh, since I'm 25 years old. Yep. I am so much more productive, so much healthier, not having that commute. And again, it's subjective. Some people might like their commute. Some people really like being around other folks at work. I like that too. But not having a commute and being able to work from the garden shed and make a living, yep. that, to me, that is oh, literally man. the define of wealth. I am so wealthy and successful and that I've been able to monetize my podcast and now I'm hosting it from my garden shed. Amazing. My 100%. dog, can you see my dog back there? Yeah, I see him. Her, how dare you misgender oh, my, my dog? <laughs> my bad. Don't She's very me. offended. She's going to cancel you. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, I've, I've not agreed with these lockdowns. I'm just going to say that. But I have enjoyed the entire process immensely. I'm home with my family. I'm working from home. Uh, what, what I did do is I, I, I do the podcast, make a little money there. But I, I run a, a home health business. So every day I'm in Compton. I'm in Watts. I'm in Linwood. I'm, I'm oh, wow. all over doing, doing work. And now I'm home with my family. I'm working out every day because I'm saving about two hours a day. Exactly. Uh, you spend yeah, those two it. hours that you were sitting, usually in my case, in a car. Yeah. And b- just becoming literally mush. You, if you yep. spend the, the, that time, you know, doing cardio, yoga, lifting weights, meditating, whatever you do to be physically and mentally healthy, it's a game changer. Sure is. Yeah. I think. That's my yeah. opinion. It, 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 it helps with the... And that, that's one thing going political again, I'd like to see the government start to encourage government, meaning federal government, state governments. I've not heard anybody encourage as far as a way to work against COVID. Fucking exercise. I've not heard one politician or sciencey person say, get out and exercise. That, that's how you keep your immune system strong. Get well, do it in your garage, do it in your backyard, go to the beach, but exercise. I don't know. I feel like I've heard some people say that. It's just- I've um, heard podcasters say it. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard, I've heard politicians say, say that in general over, uh, you know, over 
even talking about themselves, I'm, I'm actually thinking of uh, someone in particular. I think Congressman Jamie Raskin talked about that with me. But I mean, I, I you know, that's the kind of thing, though. Should politicians say that or, or, or are they going well, to they- regulate your imagine the outrage if if politicians forced you to eat right and exercise? No, and I don't then- want them to regulate it and force it, but they don't have any problem uh, advising us on every other little thing. Maybe throw that in there. Maybe well, that into the repertoire. I do think that politicians do have a lot of power over regulating uh, anything from bullshit supplements, mo- almost all of which don't work, to actual good, healthy food. I mean, that's where politicians can come. Because we could talk about exercise all day. And this is something I do know a lot about. I was a personal trainer. My wife's in the, in, in the field. And, and it sounds like you are as well. But um, more than anything else, your diet is what matters. You can exercise a lot, but if you don't eat the right foods, um, then you're, you're just not going to be that, that healthy. Overwhelmingly. I'd, Although, I'd say for both. me, yeah, I would say both too. I mean, cardio for me fights anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, strength sure. building makes me feel good uh, about a, a number of things, including all little odd jobs I do. I'm less likely to get injured. I look better and, and so on. But, um, but I think that there's not so much you can do to, to regulate someone's exercise, but there is a lot that you can do to make sure people have access to healthy food and make sure that they're not being hoodwinked into buying, sure. uh, doing, eating things and supplements sure. that don't work. Or- Talking about, you know, like this Black Lives Matter movement, I've not heard any of them come out and talk about, like, like I said, I work in Compton, Watts, Linwood. There's no grocery stores out there. Why is that not an issue? It well, is. I mean, they talk about it all the time. Okay, I'm not. I'm not hearing it. But that, every that, single that's a black, one. every single black. If you can find me a black congressperson or city council speaker that does not talk incessantly about food deserts, find me that person. Okay, maybe I, every single black politician I know talks about food deserts and access to healthy, nutritional food. Okay, yeah, I'm it's always be been a state. Yeah, but, but I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement has a lot more to do with. Uh, uh, law enforcement and 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 reforming you know police departments than necessarily some of these other things that we're talking about but but black politicians and black leaders i mean starting with uh cory booker i mean i'm just thinking of people off the top of my head cory booker's been talking about that forever in newark and and i think all of them do certainly kamala harris talks about it um it, it, it comes up all the time i mean i've worked with organizations and experts to fight poverty for the last 10 years. And I've learned so much from them. And yeah, every black community is deeply concerned about access to healthy food and the fact that they don't have it. And every yeah. poor community, white poor communities as well. One of my best friends, he, he's in local politics out here in Los Angeles, black guy. He's, uh, he's also a Democrat. And he just straight up tells me, you know, he's, he's in city, involved in city council. He says, the, prob- the reason the grocery stores don't happen out here is the unions. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that, that's his take. On a local the what level. the reasons that there are not grocery the unions, stores the, gro- the, the 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 grocery store unions fight push back against that that's push what, back that's, against uh having a grocery store in a certain spot sure sure hmm. yeah but anyway p i listen to your show all the time what is and, a grocery store union by the way like well the, the the grocery store workers the workers organized to not have locations in certain this is secondhand information, but that's what I, I know. About, I've, I've never heard that. I'll look into it. I have yeah. no, nothing to combat that with. Right. But okay. So Pete, I, I've listened to you, your show for a long time and, and I'm we're so arguing. sorry. No, no, it's great, man. And we're arguing a little bit here, but I agree with all the things you want or 90% of them. Like I, I hear you speak. I, I agree with them. I think the difference between you and I, you're a little bit right about the cynicism, but what I see is that government has fucked up everything they've gotten involved in. It's corrupt. The whole process is corrupt. Even you, you're, you're stating that the electoral process 
is corrupt with the campaign finance reform. So at this point in my life, I've decided we should not be giving government more power and more money unless we fix the system first. Yeah, that is another, you know, very long held conservative belief certainly started in a real popularity mainstream thinking and with Republicans with 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 Ronald Reagan. But sure. I, I my my question back to you, like, I, I think that's complete bullshit what you just said. And so Why? many people believe because there is, of course, truth to that, that government has screwed up a lot of things. And I could give you a long list of examples. But I think sometimes like being more liberal or more conservative, and maybe maybe you disagree with this. I don't know. I haven't tested this theory too often, but it's a matter of who do you trust more? Private interests whose sole purpose is to make money, especially you know, publicly traded companies, or or government, local and state government. Now, there's all kinds of problems with local and state government and corruption and so on. But where does the corruption come from? We talked about this earlier. The corruption comes from companies who work together within an industry to create a certain regulatory policy Absolutely. law or get rid of one. Now, Absolutely. No, 100%. That's you where name, it comes you from. You name any job, and I'll name the industry that that job is in, and then I'll talk to you about how it affects and corrupts no, government. No, you won't. So, I won't push back on that at all. You're, so, you're so who do you trust right. more? The guy who's sealing your driveway or the guy is a terrible example from the town whose job it is to make sure that you don't seal over the town property or your neighbor's driveway, that you follow the certain right. set of regulations. I, I've, I, the guy who wants to make money is unlimited money, especially, or a lot of money is, I always trust him less. Always. Well, I don't trust private corporations you're more missing, than I do. You're missing the problem. Yes, it's okay. the private corporations. The private corporations um, influence and write most of our legislation. They have that power. Their lobbyists write the tax law. Their lobbyists write the banking law, right? So no, I don't trust them. But the fact is they've infiltrated government. Yes, get them out. Get their way. I vote for Democrats and get them out. Well, I don't believe that voting for Democrats will get them out. Democrats, but but we already covered this. You you have to agree with me. I I will force you into conceding. Democrats are taking the same money from them. Here's the difference. I already explained this to you, but I'll try it one more time. Democrats don't want to. They are appointing judges and trying to pass legislation that will prevent that money from corrupting government, and Republicans won't let them. Black and white. Right down the line. State, local. The most corrupt thing, it's not corrupt, but most horrific thing that Republicans have done in our lifetimes, they signed a blood oath to one man named Grover Norquist, who I've interviewed many times, that says, I, as a Republican, will uh, never, yep, ever raise that. taxes. And here's the thing that's, that sounds great on paper. Your yeah, taxes are never going to be raised. It's such bullshit because what Republicans do every time they're in office, there's a real important fallacy that I try to debunk every opportunity I have, which is that somehow Republicans are more fiscally conservative than Democrats. Not true. Not true at all. Because if you don't raise taxes, but you do spend more government money, you are fiscally irresponsible. You are spending money you don't have. Democrats, when they create new programs or when they spend money, they have the money to spend. They're willing to raise the taxes. Republicans sign an oath. We will never raise taxes. Then they start wars. They create the Department of Homeland Security, ICE, new giant federal bureaucracies, and they don't pay for them because they won't raise taxes. And furthermore, they cut taxes. So there's less money coming into the government, but they don't cut spending. Look, fiscal conservatism is a province of the left. 
And Democrats have been responsible, far more responsible with your taxpayer money than Republicans. Well, and uh, most no evidence by the wars and the, and the Defense Department. There's no doubt Trump has spent more than any other president before him. You can't argue that. But I actually don't Obama, know about that. Oh, he, he has. He's, he's spent more. I mean, just on these last two stimulus alone, you know, crazy spending for coronavirus. So, you know, he's pushed that out of control more than anyone. You can't argue that. But Obama had before him. So no, he didn't. There, there, he so did. listen, look, look at Obama spending. The two, the, two Obama. Major, the two major things that Obama spent on, what are they? Well, the war. No. The wars. No. No, but he. Defense he, spending. The wars weren't, weren't the de- biggest. Defense spending. He continued to defense spending, but he didn't pass. He didn't create a new bureaucracy or start a new war. So you're right. He spent money in war, but he wanted to raise taxes to pay for them. Right. Okay. So. Yes, he spent too much money on, on war, I think it's, it's fair to say, but he didn't start a war on false pretenses. He didn't. He stopped the war in Iraq, number one. Number two, the mo- he spent money on the recovery and reinvestment plan, more uh, likely you may know it as the stimulus plan, which was in 2008 when he came into office. Of course, the economy was spiraling. We were mo- losing a million jobs a month almost. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to stimulate the economy with government programs. That's Keynesian economics. We can argue it if you want. But the other thing he spent a lot of money on was the uh, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare. Guess what? Paid for. It was paid for. He paid for it. Right. He didn't, that wasn't deficit spending. And it's overwhelmingly approved of now over 10 years later. Americans love well, it, including my wife and I. I mean, some Americans love it. Let, let's, Whether you let's could cherry honest. pick anything. The overwhelmingly, companies, Americans the love it. companies also love it. it. It was a big windfall for the insurance companies. Yeah, but that, but was, look, that, that so, was a Republican idea, of course. Republicans want to keep private insurance. Democrats want to have government, a government option at least. Yeah, that's, that's not one I want to argue about. But as a guy who works in healthcare, as a healthcare business, I definitely don't want Medicare for all. I think it, it would be a complete disaster. If you get money out of politics first, then we can talk about things like Medicare for all. Well, then you got to vote for Democrats. If you want money out of politics, you got to vote for Democrats. Democrats want the money out of politics and Republicans don't. So are you telling me if Joe Biden wins and we get a majority proof of Democrats in the Senate that they would do campaign finance reform and get money out of politics? Yes, they would absolutely do campaign finance reform. But unless they can overturn Citizens United, they don't don't have the Supreme Court. It would be very difficult for them to pass a law that the Supreme Court wouldn't overturn. Okay. That's why Democrats are so concerned. Well, everybody's concerned about who makes up the Supreme Court because you can have a, you know, a filibuster-proof majority and pass a law, and then this Supreme Court could overturn it. So it, is, it does seem like whoever the, the Republicans appoint in that Supreme Court, it keeps swinging left, so they should be able to get something like that through. It's that's not swinging. Really I mean, uh, I guess if, you, if by left you say, um, that, you know, that John Roberts, I mean... We could talk about the, how the Overton window has changed on the Supreme Court or, or, or who's voted for it. But the idea that the Supreme Court has swung left, the Supreme Court has a conservative majority, period. OK, I, I mean, five, four. That's we're, that's we're, the co- way we're coming up on time here. No. Because, yeah. I mean, it's been it's been you've had some great stuff and this isn't really the way I wanted all this to go. But it, it just kind of took that direction. Dude, I just want you to know that I and, and your listeners know I have. Um, uh, this annoying tone that I get at when I get defensive about my political beliefs. No, man, you're passionate. Hold on and a second. Do you hear that? No. Oh, good. Because my phone is ringing and it's not supposed to be going through the, uh, the board here. Sorry. No, let me okay. just change it up before, before we end sure. up um, to comedy. Uh, number one, do you, do you miss stand up? 
Number two, how do you feel about the future of comedy? Like you said, cancel culture is kind of bullshit, but there's been a lot of comedians who have been canceled. Like, does that scare you? Um, and no. how do you think that affects comedy? Not in the slightest. I'm not worried about it in the slightest. I think that the comedians who have, I mean, I don't know if anybody's been canceled. Louis C.K. is making a shitload of money doing stand-up right now. Um, who's been canceled that's a comedian? Well, Roseanne that, definitely got canceled. She wasn't doing uh, stand-up. And Shane, she worked Shane for Gillis. She, Shane Gillis got canceled uh, yeah, that, Saturday Night Live. That's questionable, but he's doing fine. He didn't get on Saturday okay. Night Live. Listen, if you want to go work for a major corporation, a major network, you can't say racist things. That's, that's the deal. Like, you can be but a you, super... Well, it depends. If you're on the right team, it seems like you can. I mean, Jimmy Fallon, he's not losing his job for his whole blackface thing. And yeah. It depends I, what I, team I mean, they, they identify you with. Well, it also depends on your success. I think, you know, companies care if you're if you're doing really well, they could care less about, you know, to some extent what you say. But the, but the, the country is trending away from sexism and racism and 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 comedians need to as well. And I just haven't seen any of my stand up comedy friends lose that much money. Uh, everybody seems to be working. Shane. I don't know Shane Gillis, but he seems to be working. He seems to be everywhere. So he's not on Saturday Night Live. But um, the same, you know, goes for. Yeah, I mean, Roseanne, we could, but, but back to your question about, like, I'm not concerned because I've been saying things in the microphones on TV, on the radio and on stage for over 12 years. I've never gotten in trouble. And it's not because as you even said at the beginning, I, I'm, I'm bold. I, I say what's on my mind, but I'm not worried about getting in a lot of trouble because I'm not, um, in my case, I'm not destroying, you know, an entire gender or, or race. I'm not punching down. I don't think it's that that's, hard. That's the one, the, the punching down thing. Yeah. Like as a comedian, don't, isn't part of being a comedian, like pushing it right up against the limit of what is ex- acceptable, um, that making people a little bit uncomfortable and seeing, uh, no. A, no, because it, for, the for line some, of what is acceptable definitely changes over time. Like things that were acceptable 10 years yeah. ago aren't now. That's called progress. I think it's called progress. Sure. If you find women and black people that are really upset about this issue, then let me know. But that you really don't, especially, I mean, some have been outspoken. Dave Chappelle's been well, Kevin you know, Hart. Kevin Hart got a, got booted off the Oscar. He, he got booted from the Oscars. Remember Yeah, that, that was, that was ridiculous. And he's, but that but doesn't, here's the thing about that. That was wrong. I agree. He said things in the past. He apologized for him. He came on my show and talked about it. Kevin Hart, is the, the wealthiest actor sure. and comedian. He is not canceled. No. You could even argue that the, 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 the notoriety and integrity that he got from that made him more respectable, more valued. So again, Possibly. find me somebody who is really suffering and, and, and equate the consequences of the things that they said. How also, about, you know, how about Chris Hardwick? He lost his company over it. How about Aziz? Aziz well, had to go away for a little Aziz while. Aziz is, yeah, but is, he's doing great. Aziz is doing great. And I think Aziz admittedly learned, you know, uh, that was a weird situation, but he, he publicly had to, you know, learn maybe how to behave more in private with a woman. I mean, those are specific situations. I don't think that they are controversies. Like when, when you bring these things up to me, are they problematic a little bit for some people, but because I talk about problems for a living, I could name a hundred things that are worse, and I only sure. hear white men talking about this. It's almost exclusively well, and very white about it. Almost exclusively white guys. And as far as comedy, one thing I'll probably agree with you on, and, and I've been saying this lately, and I'm of course I'm open, and I'd be humble to changing it. The kind of cultural appropriation idea that if a comedian goes on stage and does a voice or an accent, that that's bad. I don't like that. 
I don't like the idea that we can't do characters on stage. It's that's been the case for storytellers. That goes with the punching down thing. Like what, what is this punching down? I don't, I don't understand it. Like if you are someone, the idea of punching down is racist in itself. Like black people are below white people. You're punching down on them like that. That seems racist by itself. Well, race, I mean, if you look at racism that, if you think that the problem with racism in America is that black people are holding white people down, that I would agree with you, but I don't think that. I don't think that black people are holding white people down from progressing. No, but the idea, no, of course not. That's, not. that's not what I'm saying. Punching down gives the connotation that black people are below white people. You're punching down on them. No, 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 no. It, it, punching down is to say that as a white man, I'm sitting here making fun of how horrible women are and how they don't deserve equal pay, for example, a joke about that, or that rape is, is okay, a joke about that. That's punching down. If it's race, then it's a similar type of thing, that, it, that a group that has historically been discriminated against, that I'm, con- that I'm saying that that's okay and that they deserve it. That, there's a lot of inherent- making jokes that it's okay to discriminate or that it's okay to rape. That's not, that's not really a way a, a joke. Sure works. they are. Sure they are. Yeah. I mean, people make rape jokes like that all the time and, and they have for a long time and they've gotten away with it. If you go back and look at a lot of the, the, the comedy from the 80s and 90s especially, and you're still seeing that to some extent. I mean, look at what Chappelle... Uh, you know, was very, very critical of trans, trans people. And it was stupid. I thought that was, pu- that was punching down. I, I right. didn't like was it he, at all. I mean, he he's my favorite comedian. Them or was he poking fun at them? I thought he was critical of them and poking fun of them. And I thought, it, and I think, but here's the point that I think is important. He's still my favorite comedian. Even in that special where he did that, it was still a hilarious special. So many, we need to be able to look at a comedian politician, a journalist in the entirety of their career or the context of their entire hour of material. If most of your hour is, is about uh, pushing back against discrimination, but then one joke is, discrimin- is discriminatory, then you know, it takes away from, I think, the rest of your hour. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's not right. still good. No, I agree. No, it's nuance. It's you, context. It matters. Here's, here's another thing. You mentioned cultural appropriation, right? Um, so this one, this, oh, you got somebody. My daughter's just letting my dog out. Okay. Hey, I'm still I'm still talking to my friend Matt. I'm Hello. almost done, Julia. That's my 12 year old Julia. She Hi, wants Julia. to be an interior designer. All right. Well, well, you can start with that with that office there. Yeah, she's working on it right now. Yeah, we're go, we're about to go get some furniture. I'm sorry. What were you about we're, to ask? Working from home is awesome. I get it's the, same the greatest thing all all day long too. And you just get hey, I'm in a Zoom meeting. What? Okay, whatever, Dad. Yep. And they just. She doesn't yeah. care. It doesn't matter who I'm talking. I could be talking no. to uh, the Secretary of State. Sure. And she'd be like, I'm. I that, need something. That's now. probably happened. <laughs> it's I've I've had some moments. That's for sure. I've been on national yeah. TV where they just they just call, they walk in, they don't. Yeah, care. yeah. Um, you mentioned cultural appropriation, and this one, this one really, this one bothers me because I'm a guy. Yeah. I've I've, you know, I fought for gay rights. Like I marched about gay rights. I went. I used to go to the the you know the thing in West Hollywood and and all that. I, I'm down for equality. And something that does not make sense to me is this concept of cultural appropriation, where if like if a if a white girl has dreadlocks or or whatever, like cultural appropriation to me is a positive thing. It's cultures bleeding into one another, and that's how we grow and become closer to one another. That's how yeah. communities become integrated. Is you share your culture, you go to the taco truck down the street, and you start chatting up with that guy. Now you're making tacos, and you know what I mean like I think it's a good thing, and I don't understand why. We, we have this term of cultural appropriation. And well, because I, I, I think the examples you gave are completely fair. I think that the, the issue becomes, you know, I, 
this is the thing that I don't understand. If like the vast majority of Latino people don't like a behavior, a word or something, um, then we should not, we should not behave that way. We shouldn't say that if most women, think, sure. you know, in your office, let me be more specific. Most women in your office think that you're behaving in an inappropriate or sexist way, then you should listen to them. You don't get to be right. like, no, you too bad. Same thing with, you know, other right. minorities. No, and, you're right. And so the, the cultural pre, uh, appropriation complaints are generally about things that, that people in that group find deeply offensive. And so I don't think the vast majority of black folks care if white people put dreads in their hair. I'm, I'm pretty sure they don't. No, they I don't, don't think they care if white people listen to their music. I'm almost positive they don't. They make a lot of money because sure. mostly white people listen to a lot of music, black music. I don't think most of those instances are, are issues. I think that dressing up in blackface is bad because not really because appropriation of his, because of history. Yeah, right. So right. It, it depends on what we're talking about. I, the issue that, that kind of bothers me is I can't do an accent. Like I can't do an Indian accent on stage. If when I'm doing it, by the way, I'm not punching down. If the guy that I'm talking about, I'm, I'm doing his side of the story and he was describing the love that he has for his wife and I do it in an Indian accent. How is that bad? Right. Especially when my accent is so good. And why is it <laughs> bad to do Indian, but okay to do British? Or and so on, and so right. I find not only that, that when, actors now can't play cartoon characters that are not their race. Like well, that's the I job think there's of actors. Yes and no. I mean, I think that again, that's a good example of historically those jobs haven't gone to the people that look like the animation, and there's not enough work for minorities. So give them the Asian role. But but I also think that you know there are there's a major difference, Matt, when talking about comedians and entertainers versus politicians, the principal, the government leader, the teacher. There's, it's a double standard. Entertainers should get away with a lot more because they're not necessarily role models. Their, their purpose is to entertain. Then the president of the United States calling, as he does every day, other government you know, senators racist names. I mean, nobody thinks that it's okay. Most people don't think it's okay for President Trump to call Elizabeth Warren, Pocahontas. It's, it's horrific. It's cheap. It's terrible role modeling, just calling names. So, I mean, it, it depends who's doing it. Because as soon as you say you call it, the president has called uh, the virus Kung Flu, the Kung Flu. Well, guess what? Every kid with Asian heritage that looks even vaguely Asian is now subject to being called the Kung Flu on the playground. Sure, a, a president shouldn't behave in that way. I think Nor 90%, should any 90% kind of, you know, of us yeah, would but agree comedians, with that. But like, it's uh, different. On the, the China flu specifically. So my, my kids are Asian, or, or half, I guess, right? What? Yeah. Had I known, <laughs> so is your wife what? something? What is your wife? Well, that'd be weird if my wife was not and my kids were, right? But yeah. So, <laughs> no, you might adopt them. I, I know a Filipino. guy who adopted like That's nine Korean kids and I still Valid. think to this day he Valid. was looking for, for workers for his uh, business venture. But, <laughs> but uh, one of them was like my best friend. I was like, why did your dad adopt so many kids? Doesn't seem to love you guys, but you sure do work a lot. Anyway, uh, so yeah. what is your wife? She's what? She's Filipino. Oh, nice. Um, but Beautiful the, people. The China flu, right? Why... Why did that somehow get deemed a racist thing to call the virus? Because it, it is from Be China. Well, because we, we because did that of, with every other flu, every other the Spanish flu, the you know all the viruses. We yeah, it was it was it's it's not okay to name a, a virus after a country because because I think it's important that what that becomes 
it becomes something where Asian people of every descent, whether it be Filipino, Korean, Japanese, or Chinese, are being subject to racism as a result, even though they're not even Chinese. You call it what it is. You could, I mean, if you call it the, the Wuhan virus, it's still not great. But they you call it COVID-19. Just call were, it COVID-19. They we were know calling where, we it know where, that. Even everybody was calling it that. CNN was calling it that. Everybody was calling it that. Calling what? Sudden, calling it the, the China virus, the, the Chinese coronavirus. I bet that we every, can't find, I bet we can't find an example of, of anybody at CNN saying oh, China virus. You, I saw clips last night. They Dude, send it to me, and I swear to God, I'll, okay. make, I'll make a video to add this podcast. Say, I, P. Dominic, was at, uh, wrong. Matt was I'm, right. I'm definitely going to do that then. Go for I, it. I yeah, seriously. I'm but, happy to be wrong. But I don't know that it would lead to racism like that. Like, maybe you're right. I, I don't think there's any way to know. But it is a fact that it came from there, and it is a fact that, you know, the media, for, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to want to cover how China's created this virus isn't that important for everybody to know what do you mean that the, the media doesn't want to, well first of all they didn't create the virus they have wet markets in china they have horrific i mean that's a, that's what libertarians and republicans want in america they don't want regulations so that you can pass you can have a virus come out of an animal I can speak and for the libertarians we don't want regulations because the people who write the regulations are these massive corporations like amazon and the regulations only then benefit vote for them. democrats right then vote for democrats who will not allow those corporations to write the laws and will do see americans should want what's in the public's interest not what's sure. in amazon's interest Absolutely. and republicans do what is in corporate interest and and democrats don't want to have to take the money to compete at times, although their platform has changed and they're not taking that money. Elizabeth Warren did not take special interest money. There was limits on donations. She, it, it, not, neither did Bernie Sanders. Pete Buttigieg got hit over the head for doing that, partially why he lost. Joe Biden, that was a big knock right. against him Bernie, as well. Bernie did not. You're right. Yes, and then neither look, did Ron but, Paul. Okay, but right, exactly. Ron Paul didn't either. And look at what both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party did to Bernie and Ron Paul. They fucked both of them as best. The Democratic could. Party did not fuck Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders did not get on. enough votes. He didn't get enough votes. They That's it. He did not convince enough people to vote for him to win the primary. All agree to endorse Joe that Biden. That is right completely, completely normal. Every single election in American history, there has been a the election. There's been a th there's been a th the, the reason why they've. They came together to support Biden. Is they thought he would have a better chance to win, and they and wouldn't they agreed say, with him. Wouldn't not you Bernie. say the left is more in line with what Bernie's principles are right now than what Biden's? Depends were? on how you define the left. But Bernie Sanders and the and his progressive movement that he has led for years. And I love Bernie. I've interviewed him many times. I think he's great. I know the people who work for him. His influence on the Democratic Party. He has made this the Democratic Party far more progressive. And uh, we're, we're all better for him. But, the, but the, getting back to the, the regulation point, whether it be food or drugs or the air or water that we drink, if you're a libertarian, you don't want that regulated. That's insane. It's insane. And if you, and, and if you don't want it regulated, it's probably because you want to make as much money as well, you can. I interviewed you have, Aaron Brockovich today. the philosophy today. a little wrong if you're talking about libertarians. It's not that they don't want it regulated. It's that they don't trust the regulators and they don't think the regulators make good decisions. They would like to see the free market bear out the, the regulations. The free market is inherently corrupt. Why would well, you ever so the trust? Government. No, no, it's not. No, the people make up the government. The, the free market does not care about climate. It doesn't care. 
Well, it, 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 it would if the, if the climate started going. I mean, that's Joe Jorgensen. No, it doesn't. Running, the fossil Joe Jorgensen is running as a libertarian. And that's her number one platform is the environment. That's, that's her number one issue. Who's this? Joe Jorgensen, the, the libertarian candidate. Did oh, you... for president? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just heard that name for the first time. Okay. Well, I, I don't. So what does, is this a, I don't even know if it's a guy or a girl. You so. don't know Joe Jorgensen? I don't because it's I'm paying no attention to third party runs. I think it's at this point. You're in, not going to tell me America. it's a waste of vote. Are I you? absolutely think it's a waste of vote. Yeah, oh, for boy. sure. It's never mattered. And it's only taken away from the because be- of that the narrative. person. Because of that narrative. No, but who no. Is the good person? So do you re- like, do you believe Joe Biden has your interests and um, the, the interests of the American people at heart? Do you believe overwhelmingly? That? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, from his 30, 40 years in Congress, the way he's legislated, the crime bill, the crime bill is that, horrible. OK, you think he, he has a lot of I have a lot of criticism of his record. You think he cares about black Americans? Because yes, I do. The, that's the issue. Yes, I do. I don't think he he did, doesn't care about black Americans. He was Barack Obama's vice president. He did. Uh, he has done a lot to advocate for black folks. He's an old white man and doesn't always know the right thing to say. But he just appointed Kamala Harris. Yeah, I think I think he cares about black people. And, that, uh, and right. I think that I think he's made mistakes in the past. And I think everybody has. And if you get any politician that's been around, around for that long, then it's problematic. But he wasn't my first choice. Elizabeth Warren was my first choice. And absolutely, she cares about uh, the American people. I, I think most politicians do. I think it's the system that's and broken. The, the Kamala Harris pick. Who, yep. who are they trying to appeal to with that? Because I don't black think women. that... You think black women care just because she's a black woman? Like she didn't. No, do very not just well because she's black, a black woman. Because but she didn't do well with the black vote in the primary. She she did terrible. She didn't do as well as Joe Biden. You know why? Because black was, people didn't think she could win. Black people vote not for who they want, but for who they think white people will vote for because they care about their lives, their future. If you have a white supremacist- You don't think they didn't like her because of her record as a attorney general out here in California and keeping people past their sentences? I think that was, I think that was, a, I think that was a problem, her, her job as prosecutor, but she also was a progressive prosecutor. She was against, she was against the death penalty. And uh, but she more fought to keep a couple of people on death row after, after they had plenty of evidence that they shouldn't have been on death find row. Me a pro, find me a prosecutor who- uh, the majority of Americans really like. I mean, it's a tough job to do. You're going to get a lot of criticism for it. But uh, Kamala Harris is on the side of black people. I don't think there's any real deep concern. Her parents met in the civil rights movement at a march. She marched in a Black Lives Matter uh, rally not too long ago. She understands the problems of black America intimately, and black folks are really excited to have her on the Maybe, maybe they are. I, it, I mean, they definitely they are. are. They definitely are overwhelmingly. They I mean, are. I, mean, I interviewed my, six black women the day she was nominated. My my black friends, and this is only anecdotally, but they don't like her. I mean, we're talking about a handful of people, but they think well, she's any, phony. You know any they, black women that don't like her? Uh, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. And why yeah. don't they like her? They think she's phony. And also, we're in California, where she was the attorney general, so they're more familiar. Yeah, so that that might play in more. But I I just want to ask one last question because we definitely right. do. I'm sure you have stuff to do, and you've been very patient. You've I'm taking awesome my daughter to buy uh, help me buy uh, office furniture or uh, help me uh, design the studio. Awesome, awesome, good, good to spend that time. I mean, my main you thing like is I've parent. been talking. I, I've gone. I know that you wanted to wrap up a couple times, but you're so handsome. <laughs> I just want to keep it going. Can you tell that to my wife, please? I don't know. I mean, let me see the rest of your torso. <laughs> do you have some weaknesses? How tall are you? About. 5'11", I tell people. I'm Are you really? Oh. 
How, um, how sexist is this? I see sometimes I, I look at a guy who I think is real good looking and I'll immediately be like, I bet you his wife's hot. That's what I think about you. She is hot. She is I bet hot. you his Very wife hot. is hot. You ever look she's at a couple hot. coming towards you and you see the guy first and you're like, and then you immediately look at the, the woman to see if she's, <laughs> and you're, you're like either impressed or disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. No, my wife is hot. She's better looking than me. No doubt. So she gave me some good looking kids too. Nice. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because okay. we, went, we went to Mammoth, um, this past week. And on the way I replayed your podcast with Joe Rogan. I love yeah. the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, wow. And, and I never even heard it. Uh, it. You were, you were phenomenal just like you are on your own show. And it was that, right at that time when you were trying to transition into podcasting. Yeah. But one thing I caught in the show that seemed to conflict with what you're saying on your show now and what you're, and you know, I'm a podcaster. You say a million things. A lot of them you don't mean, or a lot of them you change your mind six months later, mm-hmm. but on the show you said, you could not support Joe Biden. You said, you know, he's losing his facts. Did I say that? Oh, yeah. Taking big corporate money. Yeah. A couple other things. So why, why the change? Because he's the nominee. I didn't support him. I supported Elizabeth Warren. So but, it's the idea that you only got two choices. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, only, you do only have two choices. There is, has never been a third party run. I wish there were a third party. I wish we were viable. I wish there were a major movement. Uh, but, you know, the, the two political parties in America have colluded for a long time to prevent a third party from yeah. really breaking out. But I haven't seen any third party candidate. Could have um, happened with Ron Paul. But like, well, he was like, a terrible person. Uh, oh. Ron, Paul was, Ron Paul was uncorruptible. And I admired that about him. He did not, he was not influenced by special interest money. And I admired that about him, but he did, he hated government and his record on, on race was absolutely horrific. And, um, and he had harebrained ideas about monetary policy. And, you know, I just think he was wrong on everything. And, and it turns you he, out, you think he was wrong about the fed and all that kind of stuff. I know he's wrong about the fed. I'm, I'm yeah, I've, because right, I've we're, heard, we're definitely here's not going to get into that. Well, I will say this, though, but I've investigated and interviewed all of the people who are, as I call them, gold bugs, which is pejorative, but like Peter Schiff Mm -hmm. and all of those ideas, I've heard them all out. Just to be fair, I've heard them. Mm -hmm. And I'm no, you know, financial wizard or economist. I got got Peter coming up on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I I would put him on with Barry Redholtz. Put him on with, with, you know, Peter, Peter Schiff's asking why his dad went to jail. I mean, the guy doesn't believe in paying taxes. He believes in the gold standard and, you know, that the dollar right. is. But he also correctly wrong. predicted the 2008 market crash. He's literally the only guy who did. No, he's not literally the only guy who did. Tons of economists did. And using your own words earlier, they just didn't get enough coverage. I'll give you Dean Baker. Okay. Dean Baker, Maybe. and more accurately, Dean Baker talked about the housing bubble burst. Peter Schiff was not talking about a housing okay. bubble, if I'm not mistaken. And that's they, what they, That may be they didn't get coverage. And likewise, Peter Schiff, they started taking him off the air when he started talking that stuff. Well, so that I, shows you more how corrupt the system is, right? Um, no, it doesn't because I would take Peter Schiff off the air because he's always been wrong. So he shouldn't be given airtime. You know, I mean, he's, but, but by the way, I would probably go further than that because I'm pretty radical. Like I'm very much an anti-capitalist, which doesn't mean I'm a communist or I believe in some other economic uh, model that's been tried. What I would love to do is have a thoughtful argument, debate, conversation with people about the future of our economy, given the fact that everything is going to be automated. I think the, I think what- yeah, I think one thing that was fascinating is the way Andrew Yang popularized the universal basic income. So idea. you're down, you're down with that. You think that's a good I don't idea? No, I'm down with certainly down with elements of it for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. It might be I, inevitable. I don't know. It might you be know, inevitable. there's a lot of really smart people, and I'm not sure who I agree with more that 
that are making predictions about the future in terms of technology replacing you know human jobs. And I I I, I definitely err on the side that that's true, mm-hmm. and that automation is is has been more of a negative for middle class jobs in America than almost anything else. People talk about immigration, they talk about trade, but it's really been automation that's put more people out of work than trade and immigration. And immigration hasn't put really trade, anybody out of work. Trade's put quite a few people yeah, out of work. Trade, trade has been an issue. But again, if you like free market capitalists like you do, then, then you should like free trade. And I don't. I don't like free market capitalism because I don't think it cares about the public interest. I don't think well, that, it cares about that's disease. An interesting, think- that's an interesting one. Like Bernie was kind of against free trade. He was against a lot of those agreements. He talked yep. about tariffs, oh, as oh, did Trump. And then as soon as Trump took up those positions, which I, I do agree with, with that, I, I, I believe mostly in libertarian ideas, but when we're talking about the rest of the world, yeah, I want, I want policies that help America. As soon as Trump got on the, the tariff bandwagon, everybody who was on that side, including Bernie, seemed to get away from it. Like, I don't know. That's- I, mean, I, I think that the way that, t- that Donald Trump, I think that it's the way that he went about it was so irresponsible and poorly thought out. It's, it made it seem as if, Every Republican Democrat hadn't thought about these options with China before, as if they weren't, they just weren't brave enough to stand up against China. It's just not that easy, as Donald Trump has learned. The policies and punishments and consequences and trade war that he started has not benefited America, specifically our farmers. Those soybean markets are potentially gone forever. Mm-hmm. And if it were that easy, you know. We, China is a bad actor. They manipulate their currency. They steal intellectual property. Uh, they do all yeah. kinds of terrible things. Yeah. America doesn't have the leverage or ability to necessarily negotiate or prevent them from doing that. If we did, we would have done that a long time ago. A, and the captains of industry want that. Overwhelmingly, capitalism sure. absolutely wants oh, yeah. to outsource your well, job. When you That's why I'm against capitalism. You mean, you mean the, these giant these giant corporations like no, Amazon I mean, and Apple I mean, capitalism has capitalism is the most anti-patriotic economic model that you could imagine. And no one, I've, I've talked to a lot of smart economists and money people about this. Can you, is, is capitalism patriotic? No, because capitalism no, will do everything it can to, to, to ship your job to a place where they pay you shit and they don't protect you. In America, we have, we have organized labor, not much left, but we have those unions fight for worker rights as corrupt as they have been in the past in some cases. Uh, but they don't have those kinds of regulations in uh, a lot of Asian, South Asian countries sure, and so on. Right. And you wouldn't want to live there because of it. Yeah. So, right. hey, do you, know, do you know a comedian named Dave Smith? Yeah, I know Dave. Have you ever not had well, him on I mean, your I, show? Um, you, guys, you guys would have a I had him on the debate. show once and it got pretty ugly. <laughs> It got kind of ugly. I, I, yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't. He's he's aggressive, and you guys definitely uh, have opposite opinions. I, I think, I think it'd be fascinating. Yeah, I, I think that um, we wouldn't listen to each other. I think we didn't listen to each other, and we probably wouldn't listen to each other. We both made up our minds, and neither of us is changing that person's mind. And I, I think it it, it might devolve into you know, like gotcha. we've had a great discussion. Like I, in no way. Um, I'm psyched that you had me on your show. I love talking about these things. I love your pushback. I love your arguments. I think it's hopefully people walk away hearing both of us and think that it was respectful and thoughtful. I don't know that it would go that way with Dave. Yeah, well, I don't know that it thing. went that way with Dave. That's that's. But I wouldn't listen. To, but I don't listen to comedians. But that's the like, that, isn't that the problem in America right now? Is people are not people 
they just have their idea and they're not listening. They're not really even communicating. There's just a lot of shouting back and forth. Like we, we need to hear each other. If we don't yeah, hear but- each other, we're just, we're, div- we're more divided than we've been in my lifetime. And I- it's not going in the other direction. Yes, and I don't agreed. see how November 4th is going to fix it either way. I think if Trump wins again, we're going to have chaos in the streets. There's going to be riots. And I think if Trump, or if Trump loses, could be the same thing. Either, yeah. it could go either way. Yeah, I, I, I'm terrified of what's going to happen. I, I agree with you. I, so we got to listen. We got to talk. We got to listen. Yeah, but I this. think, but, but the, the, exactly. But I think that you should, it's hard to argue and not have data to back things up. Um, and, you, and, and I think a lot of people do that and don't do that. And I, like I said earlier, when you mentioned the grocery store thing, I've, I've never heard that. I can't argue with that. So if I don't know, and I don't have an opinion, but my thing, my radio show, my podcast now has always been not about my thoughts. Like you heard more from me. I talked more in this interview because I'm your guest than I do on my podcast because my guests are the experts. So I interview academics, policy experts, journalists who spend their entire career working on an issue or set of issues. And I don't know the answer. I don't even have an agenda. I mean, to some extent, I have a, certainly a moral uh, core and belief, but I, I think that we need to listen. It's been interesting to watch expertise be disrespected and institutions be broken down. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of reasons. There's been a lot of really good books by that. Tom Nichols is a conservative guy who wrote one. Chris Hedges is a progressive guy who wrote one about the death of expertise. Ezra Klein has a great book that touches on it. Um, it's, it's a fascinating and dangerous, I think, pattern, but we do have to trust the scientists on climate change. We do have to trust the epidemiologists and virologists and experts in vaccines on COVID-19. We do. It does not mean that they're foolproof. It doesn't. Right. And sometimes it doesn't, doesn't mean that they don't. Is wrong. And sometimes the consensus is wrong, but it's, it's rare when it comes to science. And usually it's over a long period of time where certain things get, get reversed. But I mean, we have a very, very uh, powerful anti-vaccine movement in America and now increasingly across the world. And right. You know, when did that become controversial? Right. And, and the reason things like that come up is because people don't trust government anymore. And the reason people don't trust government anymore is because they've proven themselves not to be trustworthy. So right. That, but I would say that it's the Republicans' fault. And I would say that Fair because, because the, the two uh, things, you talk about our lifetime a lot, which I think is great because you're 47, I'm 44. The two instances where I think government has lost, we've lost faith in it are the war in Iraq and the financial meltdown. I think you actually identify both of those. Um, and now the, the response to the pandemic to some extent. Mm-hmm. But those were, those were the fault of conservative ideology. I'll blame Democrats like Bill Clinton for deregulating the financial industry. But he did that as a result of conservative orthodoxy to get rid of the rules for banks. And then the banks fucked us all day. And the same thing with the war. He's not a very good person. I mean, well, Bill- I mean I'm, no one, you're not going to get me to defend Bill Clinton's character, right. no doubt. But but, you know, his politics, uh, forget it, it was so long ago, but I just want to make sure we don't let Democrats off the hook. But it's a conservative ideology versus a liberal ideology. And liberals and Democrats were against the war. Liberals and Democrats want to regulate the financial industry. How either of those are that controversial, I don't know. But I think you're, you're right. It contributed to a lack of faith and support in government because of those two horrible, horrible decisions or sets of decisions that destroyed the economy. And uh, a generation of American veterans and millions of Iraqis. 100%. And, right, our, and, our, and, our, and our place in the world. I mean, I was living in New York on 9-11. And the world came together in support are you, of us. Are you still in New York right now? No, I'm in the burbs. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. New York's not looking too sweet right now. 
I don't know. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation. Will New York ever bounce back? But it's, it's terrifying what's gone on there with the, the, the vacancies of businesses and it's, it's crazy, but yeah. All right, Pete. Thank, thanks so much for your time. You've been, Dude, anytime, you've been more than gracious. I, I really enjoyed it. And I am going to uh, send you those clips from CNN of them calling it coronavirus. And I will, Chinese and I will make, I will make a video um, <laughs> and, and, and uh, like a very, like a mea culpa, I'll roll a podium in front of me. Like <laughs> Bill Burr used to do a joke about that. Like, hey, I would like to apologize for Matt. I've got it wrong. Bill's the best. He's my favorite. Yeah, he's, he's tremendous. He's really good friend of mine. He's, he's a great comic. Yep. Um, thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate right. it. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again anytime. Take care. All right, man. Bye-bye. Now, I just want to remind you that uh, this podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, CBDMD.com. Um, it's a fantastic product. I, I will not do ads for products that I don't use and that I don't like. Like I've told you guys before, I'm not not doing this podcast or this Facebook page to make money. I do it because I enjoy it. But you know, if someone's going to throw money at me, um, I'll take it if it's something I believe in and something that I use. And I do use this product. It's fantastic on inflammation. As you all know, I've had my spine fused. I've had my shoulder worked on twice, um, two, two surgeries on my shoulder. I've had my left wrist fused, which makes masturbation incredibly hard. And painful, so almost not worth it, but but still worth it. Um, and CBD gets me through all my pains. Um, it's why I'm still able to be 47 and still be this fine, sexy freak that you, that you guys see and know and love. Um, it's from exercise, diet, and CBD oil. So check it out. Use the code that Dad presents. You get 15% off, and you put a little more change in my pocket than what they're paying me to do this ad. All right, guys. Much love.